Great news for Informed Pregnancy Plus subscribers. Dive into our Core Connection course included with your subscription. Hosted by Natalie Headings, a pre- and postnatal exercise specialist and ACSM certified personal trainer, she's an incredible teacher. This five-video series equips you with essential insights to understand what your pelvic floor and core are, how they work, and how to enhance pelvic floor and core strength and proper function during and after your pregnancy and birth. Learn about pelvic floor basics, key postural adjustments, effective muscle releases, and breathing techniques for a healthier core and floor. Don't wait. Visit informedpregnancy.tv and get started with the invaluable core connection today. Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin, and you've tuned into the after episode of a before and after birth story. Our guest today is co-founder of Needed, a nutritional supplementation company for women. And last time we spoke to her, she was super duper pregnant with her first baby, and she is now a mom. Congratulations, Julie Sawaya. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. You sound the same. <laughs> well, I feel the same in some ways, but definitely a little lighter, a little more sleep deprived. Oh, uh, well. Definitely heart expanded as well. Oh, uh, that's amazing. So let's pick up where we left off. We talked to you towards the end of your third trimester. It was getting pretty close. How was the rest of your pre-birth experience? Well, I'd say it was good, but long, longer than I thought it was going to be. I ended up not going into labor until 41 plus four days. So the final stretch was just long, but I felt good. I felt like myself for the most part and was still active and really didn't have too many physical ailments. It was really just the mental game of waiting that was tough there at the end. Did you have a vision on when the baby would come before you knew when the baby was going to come? Well, my midwife very wisely advised me to think of or to imagine that the baby was going to come at 41 and a half weeks. So she was right. But I think even with that, what I was surprised by is just how family and friends reactions would go at the end. You know, most, most, or if not all of my family and friends had more traditional hospital births. So if they went late, they would be induced at 41 weeks. So I think somewhere in my mind, I was expecting her to be late, but not as late as she was. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting what you just said. First of all, the terms early and late are a little vague. So, you know, ACOG, the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, came out with new terminology a few years ago where anything before 47 weeks is a preterm. But then this window of 37 to 42 weeks is term, and then after 42 weeks is postterm. So the preterm, which is really early in my mind, 
is before 37 weeks and late is the post term after 42 weeks. Everything in between is sort of on time yep. um, or in the window with 39 and 40 weeks being the bullseye and the target. So it's kind of further broken down to early term, term, and late term. So you have preterm, early term, term, late term, and post term. So the terms early and late themselves sometimes get people set up for a bad emotional ride because as soon as you go past 40 weeks, you start to hear the words late, which makes you think you did something wrong. Why am I late? Like if you're late to appointments, you're not on time, you're late. But if you give birth after 40 weeks, you're still on time. You're just after this artificial quote-unquote due date. So those terms can be kind of tricky and also get people into psychological trouble. But then, I don't know if this is what you're saying, but when family and friends start just calling and texting and every day messaging you, you know, what's going on, what's going on? Yeah. Um, that can add even more pressure to you. But it sounds like your midwife had like the sort of calming voice of like, don't worry, this is when this typically happens. Yeah. Yeah, she absolutely did. It was It was calming and at times coaching too of like, this is your journey and you need to release the expectations around when this baby's going to come. And she was so right, but it was, it was an emotional ride for sure. I think intellectually I knew from, and largely from listening to your podcast to other women's home birth stories or kind of natural out of hospital birth stories that it's really common for first time babies to come after 41 weeks. And I have older siblings who had babies after 41 weeks, And yet I still think I was probably the longest gestation of anyone I knew. And so really those last like five days or so was what was emotionally difficult for me. And I think that, you know, there were well-meaning, we spoke about this on the last episode, but my family is very much in the Western medical field, a lot of doctors and nurses in the family. And so I think they were really well-meaning in their concern, but it wasn't just, you know, when's the baby coming? We're excited. It was like, is the baby okay? Is something wrong that the baby's not here? And I think that's the part that's really tricky. And in retrospect, I think, you know, switching from a hospital to a home birth, that was the part of it that I didn't anticipate. I knew that there would be questions and I knew that there would be some fears or worries about the delivery itself, but I totally did not anticipate the waiting for baby to come to be the kind of the more challenging part of that whole experience for my family. Yeah, I mean, even without that pressure, kind of nerve wracking as you enter 37 and 38 weeks, knowing, okay, we're in the territory could be, yeah, could be tonight. It could be another three or four weeks. It's just yep. a, it's a very interesting time, especially with your first. And if you add pressure from eager family members who are also a little skeptical of your choice, then I can imagine it's a lot of pressure. How did you um, keep busy for that last week? Well, I, so as a, as an entrepreneur, I, I ended up working really right up into my due date. So the first week, so between 40 and 41 was sort of like a vacation, or at least that's how I was trying to think of it, of really trying to use the time to mentally decompress from work and try to create a little bit of separation and distance. I came in for chiropractic work and massage, and I was doing weekly acupuncture at that point too, but really just tried to relax and take my mind off of it. And that first week was great and sailed by. Second week was was where it was a little trickier emotionally, as I mentioned, but just kind of kept on with the, I was seeing my midwife every few days. We did do an NST at 
41 and a half weeks, a non-stress test. Just to um, make sure baby was happy as a clam. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that all looked great. She, she looked great and the OB and my midwife had no concerns at all about continuing on with the pregnancy for another several days. But at, I think it was right around 41 weeks, we met with our midwife, Bliss Young, who I think has been on your podcast before. Yeah. It was wonderful. And just kind of game planned what that last week would look like because the window of delivery for a midwife at home is up until 42 weeks. So, you know, her perspective is very low intervention, which is in alignment with at least what I was hoping for. But, you know, there are some natural ways to kind of induce labor that that you can kind of accelerate leading up to the end, starting with some homeopathic options and some herbs. And then, of course, there's castor oil that she usually reserves as a last, you know, last ditch effort to make sure that you hit your home birth window. So we made a plan for that week. And then honestly, it was just, you know, how do you, how do I release expectations around, is it going to be today? Is it going to be tomorrow? And during that time, I was having what I thought was, it was either really strong Braxton Hicks or it was prodromal labor that would start up in the evening and then dissipate by morning. So that contributed to that feeling of, is it ever going to happen? Is it going to happen today? Is it tomorrow? When is this baby ever coming? So really just tried to do what I could to take my mind off of it and relax into it. And I think having that loose plan of, okay, there are some things we can do was helpful. But in, I don't know, for in many ways, probably the most helpful thing I did was just try to let go of doing something because you are not in control of, unless you are going to get induced, you know, in more of the medical sense, there really isn't anything to do. I always wonder what it's like for other animals that don't really have that neocortex to think about it. You know, <laughs> they must... Yep sense that they're pregnant and things change and they must sense that they're getting close, but they don't have any hard deadlines or relatives calling them or anything like that. I wonder if if it's for them just a kind of a calm period, just easing into it, whereas we drive ourselves a little nuts about it. Did you ever end up needing to do those kind of herbal interventions? I did, yes. So I think at 41 plus 3, after the NST, we started a couple of homeopathic medicines that, uh, my understanding of it, and I'm I'm no expert in homeopathy, but my understanding is it either works or it doesn't. So you try them, and, and if they don't work, they don't do anything, no side effects, just either works or it doesn't. And they did not work for me. So that was the evening of 41 plus 3 after my NST. And then the next day, I tried a few herbs. I think willow bark extract was the one that I tried that morning. And then spoiler alert, I got a little anxious about waiting until 41 plus five to do the castor oil. So later that day, I took castor oil based on my midwife has kind of a concoction that makes it not taste bad at all. Oh, what else Um, is in there? I think there were apricot nectar, which I couldn't find at the store. I didn't want to go traipsing around too many stores given uh, COVID risk. Yeah. But um, I blended it actually kind of made like a little smoothie type thing out of almond butter, apricots, which I was able to find, but not the nectar and then um, lemon juice. It tasted really good actually. Mm, that sounds um, delish. So I took that around four thirty and felt nothing at all for about 
six hours and my midwife checked in kind of later in the evening, probably around dinner time and said, how's it going? And I let her know per her request to not surprise her with taking castor oil because it generally is pretty effective. So she likes to have a heads up. So I let her know, okay, I, I skipped this last herb and I took the castor oil today and I'm not feeling anything. And her advice was, okay, go try to get some sleep. You know, if it hasn't worked by now, it probably won't work. So just try to get some rest and we'll regroup in the morning. And that was probably around 7.30 or 8 that I was texting with her. And then about 9.15 that night, I was on the ground playing with our dog just killing time. We were about to go to bed and I felt a pop and I knew that that could be your water breaking. So went to the bathroom and confirmed it did seem like it was amniotic fluid. And so texted my, both my doula and my midwife and was like, okay, seems like something's working, even though I wasn't having any of the kind of GI type symptoms that you can get from taking castor oil or that I knew other women often experience and usually pretty quickly after taking castor oil. So at that point, I was like, oh, maybe maybe it had no effect on me. And I just went into labor naturally. And I wasn't feeling any contractions at all at that point. So my midwife just suggested what she'd been suggesting for 10 days at that point when I was having the prodromal labor, just try to go to bed, get some rest. You know, once your water breaks, the recommendation is don't take a bath. You know, you can take a shower, but just try to get some rest. Yeah. I mean, once your water breaks, things have definitely changed. It's um, in many ways the point of no return. So I think it's also a great time to take a podcast break and hear how the story unfolds. We'll be right back with Julie Sawaya. This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike. Dr. Mom Butt Bomb. As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Julie Sawaya. And just so you know, at home, I purposely did not hear this story. This is my first time hearing it. It's getting really exciting. So when you felt that pop, I'm just curious, what did it feel like? Where did you feel it? Good question. Um, Well, certainly felt internal, probably more in my stomach than really like low down in my pelvis area. And it felt a little bit kind of like a water balloon popping, but I didn't feel a gush or anything like that. It was more of like a small amount of fluid that I felt when the pop happened. 
So it was a small feeling, but it was a feeling that I hadn't felt otherwise in pregnancy. And, and it felt distinctively like what I had heard your water breaking can feel like. And then once uh, you went to check, did you have any doubt? No, there was a little bit of vernix in the mm. amniotic fluid, no meconium, which is something that I was watching out for because on the ultrasound at 41 and a half weeks, we saw some particles, which is pretty common for later term babies to, right. to have some kind of particles in the amniotic fluid. And I was really glad to see it looked, the OB said it could either be vernix or it could be meconium. And it was just little white particles. So I knew at that point, okay, things are happening. A relief. Yeah. Yeah. It was an exciting feeling. I went upstairs and got ready to take a shower. I, I called my sister who is currently pregnant. She's now 39 weeks, but you know, she had been waiting for that call of, are you in labor? Or are you not? You know, and I didn't actually know if I would tell anyone, but I was so excited that I called my sister and was like, I think it's happening. We'll keep you posted. And really right after making that call, I jumped in the shower quickly and almost immediately was hit with contractions that felt really intense right out of the gate. And they were all in the front of my body. Well, that's and good. I yeah, you know, and I saw you a couple of days before that and we worked on positioning for the baby mm -hmm. and at the ultrasound, my last ultrasound, the baby was positioned OP, so posterior, and I was worried about back labor being a problem, but once labor began, it was all located in the front and that was really the point. Once the contraction started, that's when I started feeling the effects of the castor oil and all my contractions were accompanied by abdominal cramping, Oy. which was not very pleasant, it turns out. Cannot imagine. Yeah. Uh, so in the shower, when you're having these strong sensations, is that exciting? Is that scary? Honestly, I think it started with such intensity that it was probably more scary than exciting. Mm -hmm really pretty quickly. I remember, you know, when my water broke, it was like, yay, this is exciting. It's happening. And I went upstairs and it was like, okay, I'm going to shower and go lay down in bed. And there was no, I was already at the point of no return. There was no laying in bed. There was no relaxing and kind of easing into it. I know you mentioned in the first segment that you come from a medical family. In our first episode before you gave birth, we talked a little bit about how your original plan was to deliver at a hospital with an OB. Yeah. And uh, even though you were always midwific minded, <laughs> it wasn't until the pandemic came about and hospital policies were getting sort of unpredictable that you made the switch. So, yeah. I mean, here you are. 41 and change in terms of your due date and having taken the castor oil uh, smoothie, which sounded delicious until you talked about the after effects. And then, it was, it, yeah, <laughs> wouldn't advise it unless necessary. Yeah. And then now it's like your surges just seem to have started, uh, you know, no warm up, boom, right into the intensity accompanied by digestive dysfunction, which is not uncommon with uh, castor oil. So what happens next? Yeah. Well, I think that's a really good background because the original plan that we had with our OBE and had discussed with our doula was to labor at home, quote unquote, as long as possible, you know, until active labor is well underway. And I'm, you know, ideally really far along. And I really don't think there would be any physical way for me to have transferred to a hospital at the point that I was at 
they were happening every two to three minutes. And the idea of wrapping my head around that idea of walking downstairs, getting in a car, going upstairs to labor and delivery and being checked. I think that's honestly what kept me at home. (laughs) Uh, There was a point probably two hours into labor. We were on the phone or my husband was on the phone with our doula and midwife and checking in with them. And, you know, in the beginning, everyone was like, okay, the intensity is probably the effects of the castor oil. Let's give it some time. And, you know, I was talking in between contractions in the beginning and coping pretty well. And then I reached a point probably an hour, maybe two hours in where I felt like I'm really not coping well. And I started having thoughts in my mind of if this is going to be 12 or 24 hours, which I knew or pretty frequently a first labor is longer. I started kind of psyching myself out, being really concerned about if this intensity is going to continue for that long, I need an epidural. I need to go to the hospital. And I think two things kept me at home. One was knowing that we could call in the support team, which we did, and things got much calmer for me, at least mentally and emotionally once our doula arrived. But the other was the sheer kind of reality of it's not going to feel better going to the hospital. Like there's no way I can walk down these stairs comfortably and comfortably get in the car. And in my mind, I was like, oh gosh, it's going to be, even though we live three minutes from the hospital, it's going to be at least an hour until I could get an epidural and our doula will be here in 30 minutes. So I'm just going to wait it out with sort of the mental exercise I was going through. My curious mind has a few questions. Were you checked? Did you have a cervical exam before you went into labor? I did. Yes. So at that appointment at 41 and a half weeks, my midwife offered it. She said, I can check you. We can see, you know, how far along you are. You know, there's different options. You know, you could do a cervical sweep. We end up deciding, okay, let's do the check. And from her assessment, I was not dilated enough really even to do a cervical sweep, which, you know, is like one centimeter. She's like, you might be a half a centimeter dilated if that, but Oh, Um, only, only nine and a half to go. Yeah, exactly. And that was literally 24 hours before labor began. Do you Um, remember if there was like softening, effacement, or if there was a sense of if the baby was high or low in your pelvis? Her assessment was that my cervix was really high. So, you know, kind of still very much in a posterior position. She didn't give me a read on effacement. And I knew not to put too much trust in those, you know, metrics, if you will, you know, you can be 90% effaced and three centimeters dilated for two weeks and not go into labor. So I knew not to put too much emphasis on that, but I think I probably left a little bit discouraged that, okay, we can't do the sweep. So really my options are castor oil or bust (laughs) was sort of how I felt going into it. You had castor oil and then bust. Yeah, it sounds exactly. Like, or burst. So my other thing is something that you triggered in my mind was we have uh, two episodes of our podcast with Britta Bushnell, who's a PhD in mythology and also brilliant childbirth educator and doula. And one of the things she does is uses different metaphors and relate them to the childbirth journey. And one of the metaphors is comparing childbirth to a whitewater rafting trip where sometimes you're going to go on an all-day whitewater rafting trip and just shortly into the trip, 20 minutes, a half an hour, an hour, you hit these insane rapids and your heart is pounding and your adrenaline is flowing through your blood and you're just like trying to survive. And you think to yourself, if my entire day is going to be like this, I don't know if I can handle it, but what you don't realize is around the bend, 
in five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, you're going to hit the most placid, relaxed, beautiful part of the lake. And especially in that post-adrenaline high, it becomes so enjoyable. And that happens oftentimes with labor too. Sometimes you're in it at the beginning, a few hours into it, or even a few centimeters into it, and it seems really intense. And that's where your mind runs away with it and says, Mm -hmm. oh man, if this is three centimeters, six is going to be twice as intense and I'm not going to be able to handle it. That is oftentimes not the case. Once you find your rhythm, once your hormones relax, once you figure out what's going to be comforting to you, to your mind and your body, it can actually get a lot, lot better. And it sounds like that's what happened with you. It sort of did. I wouldn't say physically it got any easier. The intensity continued. But what was really comforting for me was once my doula arrived she was able to, one, help me see that even though, I think the the hardest part for me of it was feeling like because I had the abdominal cramping, that didn't stop when the uterine contractions took a break. So it felt like I had a uterine contraction every two minutes and then abdominal cramping even throughout. So it felt like there's no break. And once my... Yeah, normally you get that total pause. Exactly. Very little to no sensation. So you can rest and reset. You didn't get that. No, and it felt like, I think she described it as kind of these after waves. So after the really intense contraction, you're breathing through it. And after that dissipates, she helped me. I was still hanging on to this like really strong feeling after that was cutting into my quote unquote break. And then, you know, before I knew it, I would have another surge. And she really helped me to exhale, breathe out that after surge feeling and to to find a bit of relaxation, a bit of break in what really, you know, probably was a break. It just didn't feel that way to me. And that was really helpful. Breath was the number one coping skill that I had during labor. You know, I went into it with kind of imagery and these mantras and there was music in the background and I had a TENS machine there that a friend had sent. And, you know, I I thought that water would really be the thing that, that would provide comfort. And we had a birthing ball there and my husband was all prepared on how to do the massage. And what I found is that I really wanted to be physically alone. Like I didn't want to be touched. Nothing felt good. And I ended up laboring most of the time on the toilet. That position just felt, it was, it was both really intense and it felt like the only place that I could cope, probably because of the intestine kind of cramping that I was feeling. Mm-hmm. But the second thing that was super helpful about my doula showing up is that she's not only a doula, but you know, I think you know her, Jessica Diggs. She's, she's an amazing doula and she's also a midwife. Yeah. And she didn't, she didn't have to check me to know that I was in active labor. And that was so comforting in a lot of ways to know that this is the real deal. It's not going to be long. You know, when I started feeling that really strong rectal pressure of like, oh my gosh, this is so intense. She's like, yep, that's your baby's head. And just normalized the feeling. And I think it let me know that this is not going to be an all day, all out experience. This is going to be another few hours and then your baby's going to be here. And that was probably the most relieving thing she could have done is just let me know that this is going to end soon. Well, Jessica is amazing. We are also doing another before and after story where she was the midwife. Oh, that's great. um, She'll come on with that mom to share the birth story together. So I'm so glad you were like wrapped in such incredible 
powerful, gentle strength and support from your team. Let's take another little break and find out the rest of your story. We'll be right back with Julie Sawaya. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Julie Sawaya. She is knee-deep into this birth experience, surrounded at this point by her husband and her doula, who is also a midwife. And was your doggy with you? Oh, yes. The dog was there. We have a three-and-a-half-year-old Shih Tzu, and we weren't really sure how the dog was going to react but he was super chill. He was like laying on the bed, sleeping during the early <laughs> part of my labor. And then once our doula got there, my husband was holding him because he wanted to be in the action. And and once Bliss, our midwife, arrived probably about an hour after our doula. So the plan was basically Jessica would arrive and she would kind of assess the situation and then give Bliss a call if she thought that she needed to head over. And pretty quickly after she got there, she gave Bliss a call and was like, yep, this is happening. You should head over this way. It's go time. So just in terms of a recap of the timeline, you took the castor oil at around? Around 4.30 in the afternoon. 4.30 p.m. Nothing happened until you're on the floor playing with the Shih Tzu. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And that's more like 7.30? It was around 9.15, so it was like oh, even almost later. six hours. That, yeah, it was like nothing, nothing, nothing. And then a pop, some yep. water breaking, and then in the shower, contractions hit hard yep. with also some digestive discomfort. Yep. And then what time does Jessica come? I think she arrived around, I think my husband probably called her to say, we think you should head over sometime around 12.30. She probably arrived around 1.30 or maybe 2. You know, she she lives downtown, so it took a little while for her to make her way over to us. And then I believe Bliss, and by the way, I had no idea of this timeline during labor. This is all, you know, replaying it with the team after the fact. But I think Bliss arrived around 3. And then Bliss has a, a backup midwife who arrived shortly after that. So okay. the whole team was there and assembled around 3.15. And it was just such a fast process from there. I mean, this is just six hours after your water broke. Yep. And so so, how did it go once everybody got there? So Bliss came in and she has just the most calm demeanor, which you, you had told me about. You said that from the births that you had attended with her, she's just amazing. And she kind of came over and she's like, you know, I remember her saying, mama, you're in labor. This is what you've been waiting for. And she she listened to the baby's heart rate with her Doppler, checked my vitals in a very non-intrusive way. 
I heard kind of some chattering in the background of, should we get the tub set up? Because my plan had been to have a water birth. And they asked me, I can't remember who, it was probably Bliss said, do you want to have your baby in the water? And I really couldn't even answer. I was like, I don't know. So they started getting it ready and Bliss checked me once. She did one cervical check. And at that point, I was feeling really strong, intense feeling of I need to push. She checked me and found that I was really, really close to being ready, but I had a small cervical lip remaining. And that was the most excruciating part of labor for me was breathing through that intense feeling of I need to push. And Jessica, my doula, really helped me through that while my husband and the rest of the team were getting the tub ready and kind of rearranging furniture in my bedroom. I heard it all going on in the background, but was totally in another world at that point. And then I think that period was probably about 15 minutes of breathing through the pushing feeling. And then Bliss came back around and said, do you want to have your baby here? Or do you want to, and here being the toilet, which I know is, is a position that'll, that works for a lot of women pushing, you know, you don't necessarily have your baby into the toilet. The midwife's there to catch the baby, but I asked her if it would feel better being in the, in the water. And she said, yes, that it should feel a little less intense. So I hobbled over to our bedroom where the tub had been set up and was in the tub and can kind of continued. I thought that I still needed to continue with that breathing through the pushing feeling. And Jessica kind of gently said, you know, you can push now, which was great to hear. And really I pushed for I had to ask Jessica, how long was the pushing phase? And she's like, you know, active pushing was probably 30 minutes total, which seems both shorter and longer than it really was <laughs> than I experienced it. Yeah. And pushing, I, I know some women say it feels awesome. I would not say it felt awesome to me, but it did feel good, I think, to be able to push because that feeling of needing to of your body telling you you need to push and, and not being able to was unlike any I've ever experienced. It seems like it'd be both mentally and physically very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And the way my surges were coming on, it felt to me like four waves per cycle. And the first two I could breathe through, they were really intense, but I could breathe through them. And then those last two, it was, it honestly felt like I couldn't stop it. My body was pushing even when I was trying not to. So pushing, having my breath work with the pushing, once we really got in the tub, felt productive, if not, you know, it didn't feel good, but it felt like, okay, we're making progress. How did getting water feel? It felt good. It felt like it took the intensity down. And, you know, in retrospect, I think it probably would have felt good to labor in the tub a little bit longer than I did. But really, honestly, the idea of moving, of just like moving positions felt really tough. Earlier when Jessica arrived, she tried to helped me maneuver into a few different positions and none of them felt right. They all felt really intense. So I think I was a little bit nervous about moving, but I'm glad I did. In your Very glad I did. 30 minutes of pushing, did you feel the baby moving lower and lower in your body? Did you feel the progress? Yes. yes. I, I could feel the baby. I think at that point, the baby was pretty much there um, in terms of her head didn't have far to go, but I felt her crowning very intensely and both, you know, in terms of the sensation in my pelvis and then Alyssa's like, put your hand down and you can feel her. And she asked if I wanted to see it or if I wanted to catch her. And I was like, no, I'm too busy. <laughs> I'm doing uh, enough work here. Yeah. But I think, you know, the pushing was 
pretty fast. They felt like I was doing a good job of controlling it, you know, to go slow so that I didn't tear. Um, the baby ended up coming out with her hand up by her face. Oh, wow. So I did have a little bit of tearing, but I think it would have been a lot more extensive had I not been in the water and not had bliss there, you know, really applying counter pressure. Yeah, c- um, controlling. Exactly. Yeah. Did you end up putting your hand on her head? I did. Is that like a crazy feeling of a baby coming out of your body? It's totally crazy. Yeah, it's totally crazy. Motivating? For for sure. I think knowing she was that close was motivating. And then it felt like, oh my gosh, it's taking forever for her to actually get out, even though it was really only a couple of minutes. But I had heard other people say, you know, the babies had crowns and then they just slip right out. And and that didn't happen because of her hand being right by her face. Mm -hmm. Um, But once the hand came out, you know, I think Bliss at that point almost, you know, helped guide her out because she could tell I was just so fatigued from that feeling. It felt shaky. Um, I think my hormones were surging so much and my muscles were so tense from labor and pushing and how intense everything had been. So the feeling, you know, her coming out and being fully born in the water, it wasn't like, oh my God, my baby's here. It was like, thank God she's out. I think I actually said that out loud. Like, thank God she's out. And then did she come right onto your chest? She did, yeah. So she Bliss brought her up to the surface and she immediately cried and that feeling was insane. And I pushed her out on, um, I was on my knees with kind of my arms draped over the side of the pool. So they had uh, Bliss and her assistant had me sit back and then she placed the baby on my chest and it was totally surreal. I think the feeling immediately after was like, oh my God, I can't believe it's over. And I can't believe I did it. And I can't believe she's here. But I was still feeling that kind of shaky hormonal feeling so intensely that I got out of the tub shortly after. And and that's where, you know, I birthed the placenta and, and really kind of calmed down. And so we have some really cool photos of <laughs> the puppy trying to see the baby once she let out a cry. My husband holding the dog over the birthing pool and the four of us being there, but most of my, you know, really happy and postpartum kind of immediate postpartum memories are once I was out of the pool and in our bed and that whole experience, I knew from hearing other women's stories that the postpartum experience at home is incredible, but it is really unlike anything. It was just so calm and I felt so cared for and it was just so happy. We had the playlist, this birth playlist that I had going that I really didn't listen to at all, or I, I couldn't really like wrap my head around it during labor, but just like these happy songs, the baby was born to the song, Tiny Dancer. Um, it honestly felt like, just felt like a celebration and it felt so calm and, and relaxed. And once the placenta was birthed, it was still probably almost an hour until we did the thorough newborn exam. They, of course, checked the baby's vitals and my vitals immediately after. But we were really left to just bond as a new family. And they helped me start breastfeeding. And I don't know, it just felt like being like wrapped in a huge hug by this team of three midwives who are just insanely amazing. And I don't know, I, I just think that experience, it, it honestly, I think it tops our wedding day in terms of not the active labor part, but the postpartum experience was just magical. Is there, looking back, anything that you would have done differently or that you would consider different for a future birth? I think the main thing I would do differently is 
which is which is hard because you and I spoke about this and I think you took the alternate approach, but I probably wouldn't tell friends and family the exact due date. I would give them a loose range. And I probably would have known that had I started out in midwifery out of the gate, but the OB model, everything is so geared around your due date that by that point, it was sort of like the cat was out of the bag. And I know you said you told your family that the baby was due later than your first baby was, and it backfired. Yeah, our baby came early, and everybody thought it was a preemie, and they all jumped on the plane and came out here. And we were just trying to avoid them jumping on the plane and coming. Totally. Yeah, you know, I think it's like babies come when they're ready to. And I think it would have helped, though, helped me to really settle into the baby's going to come when she's ready to, and my body knows what it's doing if I didn't have all of that external pressure weighing on me. That's probably the main one. And then now in retrospect, knowing how amazing midwifery care is, I definitely plan to work with a midwife all throughout any future pregnancy and, and hopefully plan for a home birth again. And maybe labor in the water a little longer and not take castor oil if I can avoid it. But You could avoid the digestive angst. Yeah. <laughs> but the baby was born less than seven hours after my water broke. So really it was the fast experience all considered. You know, also what's pretty cool is that you got your cervical exam 24 hours before this whole thing went down and you were barely effaced and dilated and your cervix was high. And I always tell people like that could change in a few hours. You know, it is what it is, but don't read into it too much. And it goes both ways. You could be three centimeters and very faced and still go on for a week or so. And so... You know, in your case, I love that it actually played out the other way where things were still kind of closed up and no real indication of anything happening. And then 24 hours later, you just went into a pretty, for a first baby, a pretty fast uh, labor and smooth birth. So it's a, a really beautiful story, Julie, and I'm so happy that it was your experience and I'm grateful that you came to share it with us. Yeah, well, I'm so grateful to you. I think one of the things that kept me sane, uh, two of the things that kept me sane that those last two weeks were coming in to see you for regular visits. And I think, you know, you just helped to normalize the fact that like, yeah, your baby's later term, but your baby's still on time and your baby's coming. You're not going to be pregnant for long. And, And then I think you're listening to the stories of other women having home birth experiences from your podcast library was really helpful because I really don't, have super close friends or family who've had a similar experience. So it felt like people could relate to me until 41 weeks. And then after that, it was like I was on an island on my own. So I really appreciated hearing from other women that this is normal and the baby does come eventually. I think probably every woman reaches that point where you feel like you're going to be pregnant forever. And in my case, I really did. But The good news is it seems like she's more of a six-week-old than a four-week-old at this point. She's sleeping really well and eating really well. And so I think now I have a lot more confidence to just trust nature, trust my body, and trust that my baby is going to come when he or she is meant to. But it can be tough as a first-time parent. You don't really know. You don't know what you don't know. You know, and the, the mainstream culture is so focused on inducing for due dates or inducing at 41 weeks. So. For anyone listening, if you do go a little bit later term, I'd say just trust your care providers. And I'm so glad that I was surrounded by such a, a knowledgeable and, and really empathetic birth team. Yeah, that's a key point also that from the beginning, you know, you got to start to think through the end. 
when you choose your care providers, because if you're not lined up with them, you know, philosophically, it can be a lot of conflict at a very delicate time. And if you're on the same page, it could be so nurturing and supportive. Um, I'm also glad that you came to see me because I am inspired by you on so many levels. And one of them is your company needed. And uh, we talked a bit about it in the first episode. So if you want some more information about this exciting new approach to women's health and supplementation, go back and listen to that episode. But tell us once again where we can find you online. Yeah, so Needed, you can find us at thisisneeded.com and on Instagram at nourishmentisneeded. And we're actually launching a four-part nutritional supplement protocol for women before, during, and after pregnancy this week. It's available for pre-sales and it includes a a prenatal multivitamin, an omega-3 supplement, pre and probiotic, and a collagen protein that's awesome for all stages of the journey to becoming a mom. And it's, I think, really, really helpful. And now being on the other end of birth and breastfeeding being such a big part of my day, I found both the format of our products, which are powdered to be awesome because you can just make an easy smoothie that you can drink with one hand when you're nursing a baby. And, and just knowing that I'm getting that complete nutrition is comforting because that baby will take what he or she needs from mom. And, you know, unfortunately, really often women are left depleted by basic prenatal vitamins. So we're really, really excited about what we're launching. And the name could not be more appropriate. It is so needed and so timely. So we're all grateful to you for, I mean, insane amounts of product development to get to this point and definitely needed. All right, Julie, our time is up. Thanks again for sharing your story with us. And at home, thanks for tuning in and listening. If you'd like to share your pregnancy story, send us an email to info at informedpregnancy.com. I got a whole lot of questions for you This kid's gonna test my will I got a lot to learn and my baby's too <laughs> This episode is sponsored by an innovative product that's made a big difference for parents and babies alike Dr. Mom Butt Bomb As a parent of four, I've had my fair share of battles with diaper rash, often resorting to thick, unpleasant pastes. I only recently discovered Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, and I was immediately impressed by its pleasant consistency and ease of application. This pediatric-approved skin protectant is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, making it perfect for your baby's sensitive skin. It's designed by a doctor who's also a mom, ensuring your little one gets the gentlest care. A small dab is all it takes to soothe and protect, avoiding the mess and hassle of traditional treatments. With ingredients like dimethicone and petrolatum, Dr. Mom Butt Bomb not only soothes, but also restores your baby's delicate skin. Available on Amazon.com and Walmart.com, it's the smart choice for every parent wanting to keep diaper rash at bay. Remember, with Dr. Mom Butt Bomb, nothing comes between you and your baby. Not even diaper rash.